Well, this is my second week in a row. Seems like I've usually had longer breaks uh, between Sundays. But for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Travis um, Kaufman. And last week I shared with you that um, I'm married. I have three kids outside the womb, two in. And uh, last week I shared about my daughter who gave me great encouragement and prayer. This week I have to do a little explaining. Um, If you see my son Toby, he's probably going to have a really big bruise on his head. Uh, I don't beat my kids. He ran into the corner of a wall, and uh, he got a pretty good knot. So, but he was pretty proud of it, like a, a guy should be. Uh, he was definitely proud. Well, today is Communion Sunday, and it's it's uh, I think a great opportunity and a privilege to be up here. Um, but I'd really like to start. It seems like a lot of times we get to the end of the service and and we observe communion. Um, and that, but I'd like to start with kind of getting us in the mind frame of communion and what communion's all about. And so, as we reflect on our lives, as we think about what Christ has done for us, um, I'd just like to read just a quick uh, portion of Scripture here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, it says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, I think this is such a a fitting thing when we open up 1 Timothy today in chapter 3, the the last three verses. Um, But to really think about who Jesus is and what he did for us, for this world, and the hope that we have in him. And as we uh, have the bread and the cup here this morning uh, to examine our hearts, um, something that often in the busyness of life, the busy, hectic schedules that we have, there's always things going on. You know, we had, you probably had to plan your Saturday much like I did. You have all these things to get done and then Husker football game. If you're not a Nebraska fan, then maybe it wasn't quite that way. Um, but we have all this stuff and sometimes we don't take the time to just to be still and to look inside of who we are and, and go before God and say, say, God, you know, here I am. Um, he knows us. Uh, but he wants to have that that intimate relationship with us. And so a lot of times with the busyness of life, sin doesn't get dealt with. Um, and maybe we get into these patterns of sinfulness. And so today we get to just take the time to really think about what Jesus did. Um, and we remember um, the great gift that we have through his blood being shed on the cross. And the hope that we have as well. One thing, the last part of that verse says, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does it mean to proclaim his death? This is what it means. He came to die. He came to die as the sacrifice for our sins, the atonement which takes away our sin. The miracles help us believe. The teachings help us live. The resurrection gives us our hope. But the sacrifice and death brings us salvation. So what are we declaring? What do we proclaim? Simply this. That Jesus of Nazareth 
God in the flesh died that we might have eternal life. That is a great hope. And I hope we're proclaiming that every day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord God, I thank you that you've given us uh, your direction, Lord, your desire. And and God, I thank you that we have uh, freedom in you. Lord, not to just go out and do the things that are sinful and totally against you, but Lord, to to go out and to live this life knowing uh, that you've paid the penalty for us. Lord, that we have um, just a, a greater purpose in this life. And Lord, I do pray that as we open up First Timothy today, Lord, that we would see just how the body of Christ um, is designed, how it's uh, the house of God, and Lord, that we can be an encouragement to one another, but also because of the foundation that Christ is to us. Lord, I pray that we would go from this place this morning changed because of your word. And uh, Lord, how you use it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about the qualifications for leadership in the church with the, the elders, the overseers, and also the deacons. And one of the primary focuses that was brought out of that is that these are not um, men who are, who are growing into those things necessarily, but these are really people who are identified by the practice of those, those qualities, those characteristics, day in and day out. And that it's a good thing if you want to aspire to an office of leadership in the church and to a, a position like that, that it's a good thing to aspire to because it brings God glory. And those are all things um, that we can work on in our lives as, as far as the, the character and who we are before God. They bring glory to God. And so today we continue on in verses 14 through 16. And I'm just going to read through this passage here. It says, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world. And taken to heaven in glory. So again, as we are looking at, at Timothy being instructed by Paul, Paul starts this, this off. And one of the issues that um, they're being very careful or addressing in this church is that there's a kind of an uprising of, of false teachers. And so we kind of have to go back and look in a lot of ways at what a church looked like back then. And... Uh, it wasn't necessarily that they had these huge buildings where people would assemble in big groups. It was really more of a home church type of setting. And I really like the video for the Billy Graham thing um, as they're encouraging people to get together in homes for them to be able to share their faith. Because when you go back, that was one of the, I mean, the first ways that the gospel, the good news of Jesus was being spread is that believers were coming together in each other's homes, fellowshipping with one another, in the name of Christ, um, and his name was being spread because of that close, intimate relationship. And so the church today has definitely shifted. Um, I believe it was like 200 years after that they finally started building uh, buildings that could ho- uh, house more people uh, to come together. 
And uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that as far as opinion, I guess, of what we think is, is better. Um, but we know that uh, relationships are, are very important. And so <clears throat> with the leadership in the church, um, because you had so many different groups, um, they had to be very careful about who was, was leading and, and spurring one another on uh, in the truth of his word. Because false teachers were coming in and they were sharing their own views or, or teachings and things that maybe were uh, reflective of a culture that was, was changing and getting away from the truth of, of his word. And so that's one of the things that's being addressed. And when you think about Ephesus, um, it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. And one of the things that contributed to that is, is trade and business. Um, but they also had... Uh, some really um, neat things as far as beauty and that goes. Um, but along with big cities, uh, there's also sin. And so sin was uh, going kind of to the next levels. And one of the things that I really like about Scott's Bluff is that, um, you know, I know there's sin here, so I'm not saying that Scott's Bluff is without sin. Um, however, when you go into a bigger city like Denver, um, San Francisco, uh, there's a lot of more extreme, I guess, gross type of sin that is okay, that's accepted. And uh, that's really, in a lot of ways, kind of the condition that was going on here, is that it, there was a culture that was um, allowing for gross immorality. But the church was strong, and so one of the, one of the things that's being addressed is to guard that and to keep it to keep it safe. I love how... As Paul writes letters and as he addresses things, um, you can see and you can kind of feel his deep concern for the body of Christ. Paul doesn't go there with a big ego. Um, he is really concerned about God's name, the truth of his word not being uh, messed with, being tainted. So it goes on and he says, uh, he says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. And so if we back up, we see in First Timothy, we've addressed the things that he's talking about with the conduct in the household of God. But today we're going to look, uh, look at two things when it comes to this household of God. And... Uh, kind of the why statement of why should we conduct ourselves this way. And uh, the first is that um, we have to identify what the church is. And the second is um, because of who our Savior is. And that, that really prompt, uh, prompts us uh, to, to live out um, what her, his word declares. It says, conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. When you think about the household, it goes back to the household churches that we were talking about. But one of the great things, um, and, and those of you who have been part of the Fellowship 8 dinners, I think those were a lot of fun, a great opportunity to meet people, to get to pe know people in a more in-depth way. A lot of times we come to church on Sunday and we're, we're busy and we've got things planned maybe in the afternoon, things to do. And so we don't maybe have that time to really, um, or we don't take the time to invest in one another, to get to really know, you know, how has your week been? 
How are things going? You know, how's your mom? Um, a lot of times it's like, hi, how are you doing? Oh, great, thanks. And that might be the furthest thing from the truth. I think that's probably one of the biggest lies people tell. You know? Oh, great, thanks. Uh, probably not. I know that there's a lot going on. Um, but this, this, the household of God, the body of Christ, is, is this family type of relationship aspect to the church. Is that we get to come together and we get to love on one another in the name of Christ. And uh, just like a, a family operates, it's not without its imperfections. I know that in my home that there's fighting, um, that there's arguments, that there's hitting. Um, with kids, it seems like there's a lot of that going on. But there's also a lot of loving, and there's reproving, and there's encouraging. And that's what the church, the body of Christ, is such an ideal thing, is that um, we can come together, and we don't necessarily always have to get along. But because of what Christ has done is that we can have this unified body and bring him glory through the ups and downs. Um, that we bear one another's burdens and that we um, live this life together. And that's, I think, the beauty of fellowshipping with believers is that, yeah, you might have a lot of acquaintances and friendships and people who don't know Christ that you spend a lot of time with. But to come together with somebody who has a like-mindedness in Christ is, is a powerful thing. And uh, it's, it's such a huge boost. The other thing that it does is that we call it accountability, maybe, is that we're accountable um, to those who, who are around us. But the beauty of that accountability is that they're not looking um, to, you know, push you down, but really want to edify to build you up and to restore you into that relationship with Christ. Um, as we look at our assembly, you know, are we concerned about the testimony of, of this local body? Are we concerned about the testimony of Monument Bible Church, the name that Monument Bible Church has in the community? And it's not so much, the, like I was saying, building up an ego, but ultimately, who are we representing? It's Christ. And uh, I was thinking about this. There's a lot of things that we might jump to conclusions on uh, that we use the word all or every a lot of times with things. How many of you have ever eaten at a restaurant and maybe gotten sick or the food was really bad? Has anybody had that experience? How many of you went back right away? <laughs> How many of you went back, you know, ever? Um, a lot of times that happens with a chain restaurant. Uh, I don't know if I should pick on anyone in particular because I haven't really had any bad experiences. But let's say you go to McDonald's and you eat a cheeseburger and you get really sick. Um, not only is that local franchise not going to be visited by you for a while, but now you're probably not going to go to McDonald's in general for a while. And uh, it's because of the bad experience. Maybe that, that testimony that you have there uh, has really tainted the, the name of their food. Um, although the dollar menu has such a strong draw. Um, <laughs> Major League Baseball right now, there's a big controversy with drug use. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, all baseball players use drugs, performance-enhancing drugs, that type of thing. Um, we, need to, we need to be concerned um, about our, our corporate body, in a sense. Um, our testimony is, as the people of Monument, um, that we spur one another on to love and good works, that we're an encouragement to one another, and that we, that we care about how we're living outside of this building. Um, 
because this is not, you know, where God resides, and we're going to talk about that. Um, he is in us. The second part of the church is that it's made up of the individuals, and so that's really what we're we're getting at. Is that um, the individual is where God resides. Um, goes on. Let me let me read that back here. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Just to think about the testimony of believers is huge when it comes to the pillar and the foundation of truth. One of the one of the gods that was worshipped in um, Ephesus was the the goddess Diana. He was a fertility god, and basically, from what I read, was that there's this meteorite that's found. It looks like a woman, and so they build this huge temple um, with 127 of these massive pillars that are six feet wide. Um, and I think they're, I can't remember how tall they were, like 60 feet or something like that. Really big. But then they adorned them with jewels. And I mean, this was an extravagant place for a piece of space junk um, that, they, that they built and they worshipped. Um, but what a picture this was visualizing. You know, here they have this temple with all these huge pillars um, and the extravagance that they are. And then for Paul to write and say, you know, that, that we are the pillars. Um, the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It's to go out, is that Christ is our foundation, but we go out and we're the testimony. We're bearing witness of what Christ has done. And uh, as we go into our communities, into our jobs, into you know, friendships, um, we don't check God at the door here before we leave because he is uh, dwelling within us. John fourteen six says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's a pretty big responsibility. And how is our how is our temple um, being a testimony to the truth who is in us? Philippians two fourteen through sixteen says this: Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. I think that's so awesome just to think about, um, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And the things that we're a part of, is it Christ that is um, pushing us? Is it for his glory? Um, are we running in vain? Or are we doing it for a greater purpose? I was thinking a lot about how there's so many self-help books, and, and even when it comes to ministry, there's book after book after book about how, how to relate to people, how to grow your ministry, how to do this and that. And uh, I read um, in Haley's Bible handbook, 
He writes this, Without seminaries, without church buildings, in spite of persecution, the church made more rapid progress than at any time, than at any time since because it had to keep its mind on the essentials rather than the superficials of Christianity. And I think that's such an awesome thing just to think about when it comes to what our focus should be. There's a lot that goes in. Even even here, we've got screens and speakers and lights and pews and, and, and decoration. And I think that that all has some type of purpose. But ultimately, if God's word is not being taught, if God's word is not being preached, um, then it's pointless. And that, that has to be focus. And so in our own lives, if we're the temple, are we... Are we uh, you know, filling ourselves with the word of God, with his truth? Are we filling with a bunch of superficial type of things? Verse 16, the mystery of God, the mystery revealed. Uh, Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven and glory. Mystery is some sacred thing hidden or secret, which is naturally unknown to human reason and is only known by revelation of God. And uh, back in chapter 3, uh, we talked about the mystery um, of the faith and, and just how that mystery has been made known. And we get to, we get to celebrate um, that mystery today. And that Jesus came, that he was born a man. He took on flesh. He dwelt on this earth. He lived um, a sinless life. And he went to the cross and he laid his life down uh, for, for sin in the world. He was buried and three days later, he was raised from the dead. And that's such an awesome thing because he was a living God. Is that he is not dead, he's not a rock um, Christ is risen. Cool thing is that he went and he appeared to others before he ascended into heaven. And so there's testimony to that truth. <clears throat> Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians 6.19 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And then also in Colossians 4, 2-4, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. This mystery is the gospel truth. Paul desired that people would, would hear the good news of Jesus. He prayed and he asked, he requested that people would be praying that he would have a boldness to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Jesus came and he really kind of shook a lot of things up on a, on a religious front. Because now it, it was something that was open to all men, not just to the Jew. It was for the Gentile as well. What a change of thinking. But Christ died for sinners. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Going through in verse 16, that Christ was revealed in human body or flesh. Here Jesus came and he took on mankind. He became man. Uh, we get to celebrate this at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, it's in a very real way. Is that Jesus came and he lived and he had, you know, the same type of struggles and dealt with the same type of issues that we do. Yet he did it without sin. And at the same time, he was fully God. So he was, he was the God-man. And this was needed because he was the perfect sacrifice. And he was the one, the only one, that could lay his life down on the cross to shed his blood for sinners so that we could be reconciled to God uh, through him. He was vindicated by the Spirit or justified. There was a witness about him both in his Spirit and through the Holy Spirit that he was righteous before God, fully acceptable to God the Father. The word Spirit um, can be capitalized or not. The meaning is really the same. And the experience you and I have as believers is the same. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we too can have the inner witness in our spirits that we are declared right before God, pleasing and acceptable as we serve Him. He was seen by angels. I was talking with uh, Mike Clement back there a little bit about how there's just so much more that you could go into and you could say, what about these times that Jesus was seen by angels? And let's do a study on that. Um, But these angels attended to Jesus from birth to His ascension and can you imagine what they were thinking when Jesus laid his life down on the cross? You know, here they have come and they, they come to meet his needs to serve, serve him. And yet, here he is. He's laying his life down. He's proclaimed to the nations. His name has penetrated cultures all over the world. It's not saying that everybody's heard. Which gives us opportunity, that gives us drive to go and to share the good news of Jesus with others. But the New Testament church was doing a great job proclaiming the name of Jesus. And uh, I think about, you know, it's because of Jesus. Does that motivate us to share with others? If we have the good news, why don't we go and share it with others? Let's do that. He's believed on throughout the world. Many have come to place their faith in Christ. And we see things like this Billy Graham, um, our hope you know, a real strong movement to go and to share Christ with others. Hopefully that's just a catapult to say, a springboard to get people to share their faith with others. Not just in their homes, but in their places of work, um, in their friendships, in those close friendships. And he was taken to heaven in glory. And uh, just to think about that, that Christ, after he was raised from the dead, was glorified. And that someday, too, he's going to come back in all his glory. And we're going to get experience that someday. And that's a pretty awesome thing. Because of Christ, we have been given so much more. Because of Christ, we have hope. Because of Christ, we have purpose, a much greater purpose. And so I just want to challenge you guys today and, and myself as well as I read this, you know, 
Like, man, I don't know if I'm a very good pillar. Because my life sometimes doesn't reflect God so great. But I think the challenge is to go before him, and as we have this time of reflection, to just look and say, God, what are the things that are holding me back from being bold about proclaiming your truth? And to deal with sin and to, to take the step of action to say, you know, what do I need to do to change this pattern or this course? And God's going to be with you. Um, you know, he lives in you. And uh, he's going to come alongside of you to do that. And so I just want to encourage you as we uh, enter into communion today too, that you um, really take that time to go before God and be still and quiet and uh, seek his face. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your, uh, your mighty power. Lord, I thank you that we have hope in you. Lord, I thank you that we are free from the bondage of sin and that, um, Lord, we get to experience um, just that from the joy that comes by honoring you and obeying you. So, God, I pray as we are challenged from your word about just thinking about the visual picture of being a pillar of truth, are our lives testimony to that truth? Is my life reflective of your glory? Lord, I thank you that you became flesh, that you dwelt among us so that we could have a life. Lord God, I pray that there's somebody here today who has never maybe heard the truth of your word. Lord, that they are a sinner, that they need a savior. Lord, that they would understand that you laid your life down on the cross for them. That you dealt with sin, Lord. And that by placing their faith in that awesome work, Lord, that they can be made new to be washed white as snow. Lord God, I thank you for today. Again, for your word, for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.